evening, everybody. I'm Martin. I'm an I, I didn't know if uh, my host had made amends or not. We, he picks me up, and we're, we're driving down. We pull off the freeway, and, and I've seen every back road in Cedar Rapids before I got to the hotel. And I, I used to remember when I had to do that. It's because I was trying to avoid a lot of stuff. So I, I don't know if he's made all of his amends or not. But <laughs> If his sponsor's here, you might want to quiz him on that, all right? <laughs> uh, it's good to... Uh, Good to be back in Iowa. I, uh, there's a line in the big book about when you get to amends, and it says that we're like a tornado roaring through the lives of others. And I was born and raised in Iowa, and uh, I had to be over 17 years sober before anyone asked me back. <laughs> I will qualify myself, but that ought to tell you something, you know. Uh, I went to a 35-year class reunion up in Humble. You know, I, I used a phrase earlier today, how do you know what you don't know? And Several of my classmates, by the time I was a senior in high school, were concerned about me and my drinking, and I, I didn't even wake up till that till probably 1975. I got out of high school in '64. But uh, you know, the uh, because of the power and love of God, and uh, uh, a lot of wonderful uh, men and women who've gone before me, and a lot of strong home groups, uh, I haven't had to have a drink of alcohol since October the 19th of 1980. <laughs> the universe is a better place as a result of that. Uh, and there were probably a lot of times between then and now that, that I should have been drunk, and uh, uh, that's probably because of God that I, that I wasn't. Uh, I do want to spend a little time qualifying. I, you know, I, was, I was born in Des Moines, Iowa, and I went 16 years before I had a drink, and I went 17 years practicing celibacy, and at 16 I picked up alcohol, and at 17 got introduced to sex, and I've just been pretty messed up ever since. <laughs> <laughs> so see my sobriety now is is almost exceeding my first stretch of sobriety but uh i was uh, uh born in, in iowa and raised for the most part uh up around humboldt iowa and uh, had a dad who was an alcoholic who died of alcoholism 1985 that isn't what his death certificate said it said his aorta burst but uh, i know better and uh i got some brothers who uh who uh still enjoy uh, alcohol and a few other things um, and uh, it's, uh, it's rampant in my family, and I, I don't know if that makes me an alcoholic. I, when it comes to qualifying, I just have to sit down and I have to take a look at a, two or three simple things and that one has to do with when I take a drink, do I lose control? And, and uh, you know, watching my father grow up, I, I pretty well have made some decisions about I didn't want to drink alcohol. Born and raised in a small town in Iowa, and it's not that he was a town drunk, but, you know, uh, you don't hide much in small towns. Hummel was a town of about 5,000, and uh, my mother had a business there. She had a nursing home. And uh, um, it's funny, I, I, when you go back after you've been gone for a long time, I used to think Hummel was big. And I went back there for my 35-year reunion, and, and I'm a runner, and I, I ran the whole town in a short period of time. And I, it, it just seemed so big when I was back there. But uh, there were a lot of uh, embarrassing, humiliating things, you know, around my dad's uh, dance drinking. And, and I guess I'd made some decisions, you know, I didn't want to experience that. And uh, when I was about a, uh, the summer before I was going to be a senior in high school, some buddies of mine convinced me that uh, maybe I ought to drink. And uh, uh, so I did. I, I uh, got drunk the very, very first time I, I drank, although the effect produced by alcohol, which I came to uh, love, I did not experience that the first time, but uh, that came very, very soon after. And, uh, you know, um, I had a hard time looking at me and my alcoholism, and the reason is, is my body's reaction 
is so abnormal to alcohol that what I could do is consume huge amounts of alcohol over long periods of time, years and years, and not suffer a lot of adverse consequences. So it's hard to look at the idea that you're an alcoholic because uh, my drinking, that, that all seemed normal. I, uh, I still remember when I was about 17 and, and uh, riding around in a car with three buddies of mine, and we have a case of Pat's Blue Ribbon beer, and I'm driving the car, and, and I drink a half a case, they drink the rest, two of them are puking, and I'm looking for more beer and driving the car. And I, that's because I'm having an abnormal reaction to alcohol, and they're having a normal one. And uh, some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you, you can just drink huge amounts of alcohol and get up and, and function. And so, you know, Bill Wilson's story describes me and drinking. You know, it took an important, exhilarating part of my life. Uh, when, I, when I think back to the effect produced by alcohol, one of the things that I woke up to not long ago was alcohol was a solution for me. Uh, it, it may have been a problem for some of you, and it certainly caused problems in my life, but my truth is alcohol was a solution to what was going on inside me. And uh, I don't know if it really makes much difference what set up what was going on inside me. I just know that the only time I ever felt normal is when I drank. See, non-alcoholics don't understand that. A real alcoholic understands that, is when I drank, I felt normal. And when I wasn't drinking, I didn't feel normal, whatever normal was. Uh, I just most of all knew that I wasn't comfortable in my, my own skin in any, in any stretch of the imagination. And uh, went off to college, and, and my alcohol began to impact my life very quickly. Uh, I'd gone to Fort Dodge Junior College, and then I went down to the University of Iowa. And they're real serious about their education down there. And, uh, and I was real serious about drinking. And uh, uh, they informed me after one year that uh, uh, I was no longer welcome at that university because of my uh, grades. And I said, okay. And uh, then I transferred to the University of South Dakota, where they embraced drinking perhaps a little bit more. And uh, <laughs> I went to uh, thank God for the uh, steady habits that, that I had, because uh, uh, early on, uh, I had pretty much been a daily drinker almost fr almost from the get-go. but. Uh, uh, and I was a little shy of graduation. The Vietnam War was going on, and uh, uh, I got drafted. And uh, um, I went to a basic training in, in AIT, and uh, then I got orders for Vietnam. Being a good alcoholic, I went AWOL 44 days. Uh, as far as I was concerned, I wasn't coming back. And uh, uh, then I, I uh, reported out to Oakland. I, you know, I always remember that. I think I have about 100 people, and only about three of us that weren't AWOL some period of time. And uh, we got over there, and. Uh, I spent about 13 and a half months uh, over there, and I also got introduced over there to uh, some other uh, mind-altering chemicals, um, which, uh, by the way, and, and all I'll say about that is anything else that I've ever done was always still about my alcohol. Uh, I did other things so that I could drink more, uh, plain and simple. I love alcohol. Alcohol has always been my deal. and. Uh, I got back from there, and I, I finished up college, and my drinking assumed more serious proportions. Now, I had a good reason, too, didn't I? I'd been to Vietnam, right? So I, I get a Volkswagen, $150, and a new bride, and I go to San Francisco. <laughs> it's like Bill roaring off on the motorcycle to, you know, gonna make my fame and fortune out there, and uh, I got a good job, and so did she, and gosh, we were living in Alameda on the beach, a $150 a month apartment, both had company cars, and, uh, you know, and life was good. And, uh, then, then what began to happen to me uh, is so well described in the, in the big book, and that is that, that I began to take a drink and the drink took me, and then more importantly, this effect produced by alcohol began to change. 
uh, and I didn't begin to experience uh, what I had experienced for so long with alcohol, which is that I begin, you know, I, I would drink because it made me feel normal. It made me feel at peace within myself. And I also begin to experience uh, what the book calls uh, uh, demoralization, meaning that you begin to compromise your morals. I was married to a wonderful woman and uh, began to uh, commit adultery and, and have affairs. And then I moved up to Eugene, Oregon, got a job as a traveling salesman, big Bonneville expense accountant all over the state of Oregon. And, and um, finally, about 1975, I came home one day. And, and uh, see, I didn't know this for the longest time, but when it came to AA, what AA has taught me is I must raise my behavior to my conscience. I cannot lower my conscience to my behavior. And when you, when you lead the kind of life that I was leading and that kind of behavior and you're trying to lower your conscience to that behavior, it doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't work. And that kind of behavior would, would lead to, to a lot of guilt and remorse and a lot of other things and the drinking got worse and worse. And I remember coming home one day and I said to her that uh, uh, I'm out of this marriage. And uh, I moved up to Seattle, Washington. And, uh, took another job up there and the drinking began to get worse along with a few other things and uh, beginning of the end was I, I went to Alaska I don't know how many of you have ever been to Alaska but Alaska is an alcoholic's fantasy uh, bars closed for one hour uh, summer the summer you have 24 hours of daylight that gets a little confusing sometimes the, the, the only great thing in that was that hour they were closed. You, you knew if you, it was daylight and you went to go and they, you said, oh, okay, it's four in the morning. But it got awful confusing. Then the winters, it's pitch dark and then that gets confusing. Uh, but that was the beginning of the end. I worked up there eight or nine months and I was traveling all over Alaska calling on banks and uh, uh, most of that was a blackout drinking. The man I'd worked for for many years uh, thought a lot of me, finally came up and let me go. And as I said, that became the beginning of the end for me. I went back to Colorado and and uh, from there it was just a series of uh, more and more drinking and can't, can't quit drinking and uh, again I don't know about the rest of you but I still remember so clearly when alcohol stopped working but I can't not drink and you're in that horrible place and uh, uh, you know it's getting worse and worse uh, every I understand the line in the book about a tornado you know uh, I don't kid myself about the harm that I put out in the universe uh, Every human being who loved me and cared about me, I broke their heart time and time and time again. Uh, I, I, I used to say that when I drank, I was an animal, and I, someone corrected me on that not long ago. They said, Mark, I've never known an animal act that way. They have more dignity. <laughs> so <laughs> I apologize to all the animals that I have insulted. Because <laughs> that's the truth. Animals have more dignity than uh, when I drank in... Uh, uh, I had some brothers that were doing some illicit uh, activities, and they enlisted my aid in that. And uh, I continued to I continued to drink, and I continued to deteriorate uh, on a daily basis. I'd stay up five or six times. Uh, you know, there's a there's a line when you're when you're looking for, in the big book about the main problem centers in the mind instead of the body in pages 23 to 43. And Camille talked about the jaywalker, and I'll I'll just share one instant with you. Uh, I'd been up for five or six days, and uh, I was living with a gal who was a paramedic, which is the only reason I'm standing up here. Uh, and uh, I came home, and I went into respiratory failure. And uh, those of you who see the movie Pulp Fiction, uh, uh, I about lost it when I went to see that movie because what happened was my heart stopped, and 
being a paramedic, she grabbed a big nitro and nitro and jammed it in my chest. For, for those of you who aren't done drinking yet, uh, that is a one rush, I got to tell you. And uh, I sat up, you know, and I looked down, and a big needle sticking out of my heart, and my body's just flushed with this stuff. And of course, you know, hey, what's happening, you know? I had another time that I was living with a gal, and uh, uh, she had a young child, and I, I went to the store for milk, and I wound up in Jacksonville, Wyoming, which was 800 miles away for nine days. And uh, But when I came back nine days later, I came back with milk. <laughs> and, the, and I wonder why she's so upset, you know. I had a lot of losses in time, linear time, but... Uh, it, it, it just got worse and worse and worse, and uh, uh, that's a lot of what it was like, uh, you know, s stealing from people, lying to people, and uh, the list went on and on, and, and that horrible thing that happens inside you, you can't die, you don't want to live, you don't have any answers, the dreams are all gone, and if you're like me, you're saying, you know, I, I wouldn't raise this, day. What, what's, you know, what's going on? I, I remember I had a grandmother I loved dearly in uh, 1978, I'm up in Alaska, and she dies, and and uh, so this is a wonderful woman. And uh, uh, I get on a plane. I, I got three days to get from Alaska to Iowa, and you know, and wasn't that hard to do with airplane. And uh, I wound up in St. Louis, Missouri, six days later, and uh, missed the funeral. And uh, uh, I didn't want to miss the funeral. And I did that stuff over and over again. I could not figure that out. And uh, so, I, uh, matter of fact, uh, I made a little trip back to Iowa, uh, geographic. Uh, I was going to stay with my cousin down in Winterset. He was kind of a hippie, and like to smoke a lot of that grass and you know I'd always kind of liked him I was going to try and find myself and uh, all I did was come back and drink even more along with a lot of the grass for about two months and and uh, poured myself back into Colorado met a gal and uh, married her that was about six months before I got sober and uh, uh, I didn't marry her because I loved her I married her because I wasn't working all I was doing was uh, drinking and, and really dying and uh, she said that she'd be willing to take care of me and uh, uh, we, we liked that for a while, but then uh, uh, after a while, my drinking became a problem. And uh, so one night, and this is part of my story, uh, one of those uh, evangelical-type uh, guys that go knocking on your door all the time, well, he'd come by the door. And uh, uh, she must have told him about me because he came back and he started in on me. And I was kind of like Bill Wilson. I kind of figured I had more liquor to outlast his talking, and I did. And... Uh, and he, uh, he convinced my wife to take me to uh, this church that night. They had some, uh, some person coming in, and uh, so she took me, very, very drunk. And, and you know, the insanity of our alcoholism, you know, I, I, I don't have anyone in my life then. I mean, I, uh, in spite of the fact my dad died from alcoholism, uh, probably about three or four months prior to this, I'd gone to walk into the house one day, and, and uh, he just said, nope, you know, uh, we, just, we just can't take it anymore. And, uh, uh, you're not going to walk in trouble. And so there wasn't anyone in my life. But I, I go into this church. It's a huge church. It'll hold like 2,000 people. Church of the Nazarene in Denver. And uh, uh, we go in. And I'm looking around like maybe someone will see me that I know. And uh, uh, I mean, it's just crazy. And I'm, I'm sitting in that church. And uh, they do all the things they do. And, and, you know, here I am. My life is just trashed harming everyone I love and just and I'm sitting there judging all these people you know and yeah but anyhow they do this altar call and then then I had one of these weird out of body where your body's doing something and you don't want it to do it but you can't make it not stop 
and my body is falling all these people down the aisle. I'm just, I remember this. I'm screaming inside, no, no, don't go, don't go. And my body's going, just, just going. And uh, I understand about God if God don't want you drinking. And because uh, I was walking down that aisle, and I did not want to be walking down that aisle. And, uh, and I get down there, and I, you know, I don't know what they did, uh, but there was a tiny little part of me. I, I had pretty well become, a, I'll call it a dirt hard atheist by then. Between Vietnam, a bunch of other stuff, you know, uh, I don't know, just didn't have much truck with God. And uh, but I, I said something that night. Matter of fact, matter of fact, later on, about oh, just two years ago, I was doing some cleaning, and I came across this. Uh, there's a little Bible, and uh, what I didn't realize, and this is an important part of what happened for me, is on that night, I signed that I turned my life and will over to Jesus that night. No recall of that event. See, it's kind of like it's kind of like I'm glad Abby uh, twelve step Bill when he was drunk. See, God don't care if you're drunk. God's God, you know. And uh, so I, I not only that, I signed this thing right that I did that. I, I normally don't do stuff like that, but I wasn't awake that day, and <laughs> that was September the twenty eighth of nineteen eighty two. And uh, I'm here to tell you that the morning of October the nineteenth of nineteen eighty two, uh, I came back. Uh, my last drunk, by the way, lasted about a year and a half. I when I when I say that. Uh, most of the time I was a daily drinker I tried for two weeks I do not have a history of coming in and out of AA and wanting to stop and whatever uh, alcohol w was my thing and if you got between me and alcohol you left and uh, but I'd gone like two weeks and uh, hit the strange mental blank spot and a year and a half later I was separated from alcohol but uh, but that particular morning uh, something happened I, I don't know if it's a moment of clarity I'm not sure what it is uh, I can only tell you that, that a part of me uh, came to know God because something got removed from me that felt like it weighed a thousand pounds. And uh, that night I found myself in a treatment center. And uh, I was in horrible shape, weighed about 240, 250, uh, uh, had brain damage and kidney damage and liver damage and uh, uh, wasn't, a, uh, wasn't a good deal. And, and, uh, but I was glad to be there. And, and so my experience in some respects also is like Bill Wilson's. The power of God removed the obsession to drinking and it has never one time came back at me. Uh, because God does what God does. I told a friend the other day, it's like, at some point in time, I, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, God says, you know, I've been waiting for you to kind of get your act together. And obviously you're not, so bam! And, uh, boy, that's what happened to me. It happened to me then. It also happened to me in 10 years sobriety. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit with you uh, maybe about my first 10, 12 years in AA. I, I said this uh, earlier today, but really, and this is the truth, about my first five years of sobriety, I do not have much recall of that time period. I just don't. I, I had really damaged myself from, uh, from all the years of, of drinking. And, and those of you who have some time know this. When you look back over your drinking, if you're like me, the insanity of my life and, and the depth of my alcoholism was unbelievable to me. Uh, I look back and I think about about that man and, and some of the things. And when I come back to Iowa, I can't help but think about some of that. I don't have a clue who that man was. And I see what happens to me when I take a drink of alcohol. But uh, but somewhere, I can't remember, three, four, five years, I think I I hooked up uh, with a man who, who was clear on the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the steps. And, uh, uh, and I certainly wasn't. Uh, there's nothing worse than being an Alcoholics Anonymous not having had a step one experience. Uh, there's just nothing worse. Am I a real alcoholic? Do I know what that means? You know, to assume that because you drank a lot of alcohol means you're an alcoholic is a dangerous assumption. And uh, 
So that man was able to uh, take me through the big book, and, and I had a first step experience. I knew what it meant to be a real alcoholic, and uh, went through and did some work. I, I boy, I had a lot of amends, a lot of amends, uh, and uh, it took me uh, took me three or four years to get through that first set of amends, with the exception of two of them, and I may, and I and I may talk about those when I get there. Then I'll tell you what what I did. Um, and I didn't set out to do this, but, but I did this. So I, somewhere between eight and ten years of sobriety, uh, I think there's a line in the big book uh, uh, Bill Wilson talks about, I needed what in God, and he came, but soon the sense of his presence was blotted out by worldly clamor within myself. I can tell you in my first ten years, I had no meditation life. I did some sponsorship. Um, I was certainly doing uh, some work with pages 84 through 88. But there's a quote that Emmett Fox uh, has that speaks to me. Here's what it says. Knowledge received intellectually provides no nourishment for the soul. The knowledge I was getting in Alcoholics Anonymous and out of books was providing no nourishment for my soul. Action, spiritual living, provides nourishment for my soul. I didn't know that. And right around 10 years sobriety, uh, I was in horrible shape. Horrible shape. Uh, I couldn't work anymore. I was reduced to sitting in an apartment. Uh, some friends of mine owned a siding business. And what I did Two years prior to this, I was managing three stores, doing $12 million in business at 75 employees. And this is what untreated alcoholism will do for you. All I could do for a living was take flyers to advertise their business and put it in your doorstep and run and hope that no, no human even opened the door. And there came a day when I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't even leave that apartment to go to a grocery store. And so here I am at 10 years in AA, and I don't have a clue what, what's going on. And uh, so I decide I'm going to commit suicide. And uh, uh, then, you know, God does what God does. Uh, I get a phone call from a guy who had known me quite some time, and he was down in Houston, Texas. He worked at a psychiatric hospital, and he was very intuitive. He called, I, he called me out. I haven't heard from this guy in two years. He calls me out of the blue. He starts talking to me. He talks to me for a long time. He put me on hold about three times. It wasn't a half hour later, a guy's knocking the door I hadn't seen in three or four years. He sent him over there. He knew I was fixing to off myself. And then the guy wouldn't leave. And then, and then about two hours later, the guy I'd been talking to in Houston, Texas, knocks on the door. And he goes in and he packs my bags and uh, takes me in a plane and throws me in the nut house. And uh, um, thank God, saved my life. They absolutely saved my life. And uh, uh, I made a statement earlier today that in that nut house, I really, really took the third step really took the third step, really turned my will and life over to God. Because, see, I had all this history drinking. Then I have this 10-year history in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm in that condition that I just described to you, you know, page 52 to the extreme. Uh, and I didn't want to live anymore. And so what have you got left? What's left in that? And uh, uh, I started to look at the big book in Nut House Night, you know, I'm not an idiot. I, I, it's a strange feeling being 10 years sober, locked up, and then, you know, they, they like to be quick to remind you you're not leaving until they deem you can rejoin society, right? And uh, unfortunately, I had great insurance, which terrified me even more. <laughs> so, I, so I got very compliant very quickly. And uh, after about 35 days, they let me out of there, and I went back to uh, Denver and packed everything up and moved to Houston, Texas in 1991, 78 sob and $100 in my back. The next two years, I did a tremendous amount of work with the first nine steps out of the big book with some people, various people, uh, saved my life. 
I saw that I had never made this a way of living. I saw that I had done half measures in Alcoholics Anonymous. I do know that that works for a lot of people. It just didn't work for me. It wasn't supposed to work for me. And I finally got real clear on that. I finally had to do something in Alcoholics Anonymous. I had to pay a lot of attention to the book and stop comparing what anyone else was doing or not doing. And I had to ask myself this question. Is what you're doing working? If the answer is no, then maybe you ought to follow these precise, clear-cut directions. Uh, and my life began to change. In 1992, I had never mentioned I'd never done anything with meditation. Ten years sober. And the book is very clear, by the way, if you read it about meditation. It doesn't suggest you do meditation. It's uh, very clear. It's an instruction, a direction. And at that time, when you had the experience I had at 10 years, and you, you, you I call it, I died the death of self that day. I really did. Um, you get real open-minded and real willing. And uh, I said, uh, I'm going to do this. And uh, I began a daily meditation life in 1992, and I have one to this day. Today, my practice is I sit two times a day for 24 minutes. Uh, I will tell you this, of all spiritual practices I've ever employed, meditation has had the greatest impact on me knowing God. And that, because another book says, be still and know that I am God. It does not say be still and believe in God. In meditation, I came to know God. So uh, it had a profound impact on me. I'm a step worker. I continually work and, and rework the steps, and I'll tell you why. Because it works for me. I have to stay connected to, to step one. I, uh, I mostly want to talk to you a little bit about my life and maybe in, say, in the last year. Because I, I'll tell you something. Outside of working with a new drunk, this is another thing. Spiritual living for me is about being present to this moment. And when I'm working with, with, with a new drunk or someone with a lot of time, and I track those people, a lot of time dying of untreated alcoholism, I certainly must talk about my past experiences so that I can help them. But my deal is in my present right now to this moment and to my life and to everything in my life. That's all I'm concerned about. I'm 53 years old, and most of my life I've been asleep to the present moment. And spiritual living for me today is about being awake, aware, mindful, and conscious of the holiness and sacredness of this breath in this moment right now and understanding it's all incredible regardless of what it may look like. So a little bit about the last year. This I, I also would like to destroy another myth. Uh, that is, well, I'll work these steps and my life will be just great. Uh, last year, about June or so, when I go back through the first nine steps, I do not take a lot of time. And uh, <clears throat> I had done that in about a month. I sat down with about 12 people. We spent about five or six hours reviewing the first three steps, the first three considerations. And uh, we wrote inventory, 10 resentments, 10 regrets. Fabulous inventory, writing on regrets, 10 fears. Sex inventory, if we had one. We did fifth steps. We, did, we met together and did our sixth and seventh step together, made our list, made amends. So I do this holy work, right? So here's what happened to me in, in the course of about a month. Uh, got let, let go from a job I'd been at for about seven, seven and a half years. Uh, I get a call. My mother was in Denver, and she was getting Alzheimer's. It was, it was getting bad. Um, had some financial difficulty. Had some physical health problems. This is after doing the work in the first nine steps, and all this neat stuff's going to happen with me, right? And uh, I share that because I, that was another idea I had to get rid of. You know, you can't pour new wine and old skin. I don't do these steps today because I'm expecting some great payoff. That isn't why I do them. 
after I got let go, I, I went into meditation about what do I do, because I don't know about you all, but I discovered that when you're not working, your income gets cut by two-thirds, but your bills don't. So my natural inclination is to get a job. I, I was born and raised in Iowa. I know about work. I have a great value. I was given a great value. Not working has not been a problem of mine. And what I got for three days in a row with guidance is uh, you need to go up to Colorado and spend some time with your mother because you're going to die. You need to go back to that 35-year class reunion. I didn't know what that was about. But see, I'm either going to be obedient. I have conscious contact today. God's will for me is not an ambiguous thing. It's not. I go into the sacred silence two times a day. I, I can hear and understand the will of God in my life clearly. So I did that. And I went up and I spent about a week, week and a half in Colorado. I'd go sit with my mother. Uh, it was, it's interesting, those of you who have ever spent with some of the Alzheimer's, is, um, I mean, they don't recognize you. And that was kind of a weird deal. I mean, this is my mother. She'd known me a long time. and uh, <laughs> We'd be sitting there talking and she'd go, who are you? And, uh, but what was great was her spirit knew exactly who I was. And she, she was at a place with her Alzheimer's that she gets scared really easily. And she was always real comfortable being around me. And so my older brother, he, he would sit out there and smoke pot and I'd drink coffee and sit with my mom and talk with my mom. And we spent about seven to 10 days out there and saw a bunch of people in Colorado. And, uh, so then I'm going back to Iowa and, uh, you gotta keep, this is, uh, this has to do with two amends, but it also is, is about the power of God in your life. And are you going to follow that or not? I've never been to a class reunion. And uh, uh, I had made a commitment. I'd gotten a call about three or four months earlier from two classmates of mine that I've stayed in touch with. And they made me promise upon my death that I would be there. And I normally don't make those kinds of promises, but I had done that. So, you know, honestly, say what you do, do what you say. So I said I'd be there. So I, I'm going to stay up in Humboldt, but I get to Fort Dodge and I cannot go past Fort Dodge, so I just check in the hotel there, and I mean this, I could not go past Fort Dodge. And, and part of the story is, is I had two amends left, and that was that back in 1968, I'd known a gal, probably two, three years, a friend of mine had dated her, I'd come back from school, uh, we went out over Thanksgiving weekend, uh, drank some alcohol, had sex, and nine months to the day, a boy was born. And uh, uh, they gave that boy my last name, and uh, she and I sat down, and you know, in 1968 in Iowa, trust me, you got married, right? And uh, we didn't, uh, decided not to do that. And, and she asked me to do some financial things, which I agreed to. So many years had passed, and I'd, I'd, I'd attempted many times to find her and to find my son to no avail. She'd gotten married, names had changed, people had moved, those kinds of things. And uh, it wouldn't leave me. And so what I remembered, though, was I remembered uh, to, so back to, I can't, I can't go past this hotel. I get up the next morning, do prayer and meditation, go down to the courthouse, go down to the courthouse. So I have them pull the file. So they, they pull the file, and I look, and in there is a piece of paperwork that had her maiden name, or her married name, which I'd never had. I go to a phone book. There's four names in Fort Dodge, Iowa, last name. Go to the first house, it's deserted. Go to the second house about 10:30 in the morning. This old boy's sitting outside, got a tooth knocked out, drinking beer. I said, "Oh, I can talk to this guy." <laughs> and I get out, and it turns out he's the brother of the man she was married to, who she's now divorced from. And so I'm getting to talking to him a little while, and it, and I picked up on very quickly the fact he didn't much care for her. I'm intuitive today. <laughs> and uh, but he asked me a great question. He looked me dead in the eye. He says, "Is that your son?" And I said, "Yeah." 
He said, well, he's still here at Fort Dodge. And he said, now, I'm not sure if I know how to get a hold of him, but let me make a phone call. And he comes back out and hands me this piece of paper uh, with his phone number. I said, okay, thanks a lot. Now, I'm not just going to take action on that. That night I went on to Humboldt. I did some more meditation. And, and the feeling I have is I must find the mother. So I had a sense of the town that she was in, which is this town. <laughs> so I call, and there's two listings in this town under that name. first one's disconnected, the second one. I call and I say, is this so-and-so? Uh-huh. I said, did you used to be so-and-so? Uh-huh. I said, well, I'm Mark Houston. You're dead time. And so I told her why I was calling. And we wound up talking for well over an hour. Now, this is how God works. I had been beating myself up for years because I hadn't made this amends. This is about God's time. It wasn't because I hadn't tried. She and my son hadn't talked in over three years. They'd had a little spiff. She didn't even know his phone number. I gave her his phone number. Clean that up. So now I got to clean up my son. So I'm up in uh, Humboldt. So there's a couple. I call a couple times to get an answer machine. Needless to say, I thought it best I not leave a message. <laughs> he had uh, seen me uh, one time when he was three months old. He's 31 years old. So finally, the third night, I get him, and uh, I say, uh, "This is Mark Houston." You know who I am? He said, oh, yeah, I know who you are. And uh, we wound up talking. I wound up making amends. And uh, I basically said to him, uh, I don't know if you want me in your life. And that is your call. And I respect that. And here's my numbers and here's whatever. Um, last week, I get a call from my uh, sister-in-law who lives in Humboldt. Turns out she has a daughter that's working at this hotel. And he's coming in there a lot. And he's asked to see pictures. And he wants to know how to reach me. And, you know, this program's pretty amazing, but it's about timing. See? There's windows of time, windows of time. And I still get emails back and forth with the woman who is the mother of, of that child. Uh, those are the last two amends in, in my state of consciousness that I have in the world. I had a lot of stuff to clean up. Uh, I went five months without working. I had taken a year off from speaking and doing retreats, which is uh, what I love to do. Uh, I, this is just my own opinion. You know, every other position in AA has rotation. Uh, I felt I'd been doing it for four years, and uh, since AA wasn't going to rotate me out of speaking, I rotated myself out of speaking. Uh, and I took a year off, and it was fabulous. I wrote two books, uh, really did a lot of my own work uh, in, in so many areas. Uh, and uh, so that year was over in this time period in which I was laid off. and. And so I got some calls to go some places and do some weekend retreats in the 12 steps in places I've never been. And if I'd been working, I couldn't have gone because they were done on a short notice. Then another neat thing happened. It's December now, and I haven't worked for five months. Now, I've become a better steward of God's money, but my cash reserve was running out. And I was starting to get a little depressed because uh, I'm attached to working. I've worked my whole life. And, and I had an experience, and, and some of you may never have thought about this, but, you know, when you make your third step decision, there's the relationship of father and child. And I hadn't done this intentionally, but I don't know if I'd ever approach God as his child. And uh, so I want to share with you something I did, and, and this works. And, uh, um, but I didn't like what was going on with me. As a matter of fact, I started to get angry. And uh, uh, I, so I, I, I got down on my knees, and I said... Dad, here's the deal. I am your child, and you are responsible. I have sent out well over 200 resumes. 
I said, I quit and I hold you accountable. I said, I hold you accountable. You said you'd be responsible. I've done everything that I can do. And I've had all the fun I can stand, okay? I, I've, I've done everything he asked me to do in these five months. I went to Iowa, put my stuff in, you know, I'd done it all. And uh, I came at him like a child. And, and I had never come at God like a child in all the years I've been sober. So now here's what happened. One week later, I'm on my knees again. Here's why. I've got two job offers and 24 hours to make up my mind. I don't know which one to take, right? But if you haven't ever come at God as a child, uh, consider doing that. This is the inside one. To continue listening, turn the tape over now. Thank you. And uh, I took that job and I, I moved up to uh, moved up to Dallas, Texas. And uh, a friend of mine bought an 1,100-acre ranch and, and he was a chronic relapser. It almost died. I don't know how many times. And uh, he wanted to help chronic relapsers, and so that's what we do. People have been in and out for years. And one guy recently uh, had 18 years, been drinking for six, doctor, horrible shape. Came to us, everything's in the back of his car. Uh, it's a population of people that, uh, well, I think sometimes members of AA get scared of. They say things like this, uh, I don't think he wants the program. You know, I gotta remember what the big book says, uh, Jim drank several times and it says in the book, they carefully reviewed with him each time what led up to the drink. Uh, I love the I love the relapsers. I, I love the uh, I love the ones that uh, because see the power of God runs so deep. We'll share a little bit with you about uh, how I kind of come at the steps. I do live in the spiritual dimension of the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth steps. You get to the tenth step and it says that we have entered the world of the spirit. What does that mean? Is there such a thing? What do those words mean? And I can tell you what it means for me. It means having done that work in those first nine steps, the things that had me blocked from knowing that God within me are removed, and I have an awakened spirit. And my function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness with that awakened spirit as I go throughout my day. Tenth and eleventh step are full of incredible practices, many, many practices. Probably only in the last two or three years have I really begun to do a lot of work with them. Incredible stuff, stuff like watch. Watch is a spiritual practice. You could take one word, watch, and work with it for six months. Watch for what? Selfishness, dishonesty, fear. See, when you're asleep, you don't even know what's going on. Ask is a spiritual principle that you can work with. Ask what? Ask God at once to remove it. I've had to practice a long time to be able to ask. It's a practice. Turn. Turn to someone you can help. Get the force away from you. Turn. Turn is a practice. I love the 10-step promises, which, by the way, I've never been able to experience without having done the work to get rid of that which has me blocked from God. I've ceased fighting anything or anybody, dash, even alcohol. Think about what it's like to live in that state of consciousness where you cease fighting anything or anybody, dash, even alcohol. See, that's called freedom. That's called knowing God. That's, that's called not playing God. That position of neutrality the big book talks about, I used to think that was just with alcohol. It's not. It's position of neutrality around everything. No opinion on outside issues. I don't know, you ever, uh, these school kids, that phrase they use, whatever, used to bother me until one day I realized that's one of the most spiritual expressions I've ever heard. It means I've ceased fighting anything or anyone. I have an altar at home, and I got a, anytime I, I got a big plaque, whatever, you know. 
it's a great practice, you know. Well, Mark can't make it. Whatever. <laughs> Not going to make my amends. Whatever. Doesn't make any difference. See? I'm responsible for one life. That's mine. I'm here to serve God and serve others, but I sure am not responsible. So. But the practices of the 10th step are absolutely incredible. Um, how can I best serve thee? The vision, the vision of, the, of the will. What does that look like? 10th step, line of the will. See, in, in the second step, I came to see my need to be restored to sanity. In my third step, I made a decision to turn my will to God. In the 10th step, it's proper use of the will. What a fabulous experience to work with the line of the will in the 10th step every day in all the affairs and all the things that you do. It's a fabulous thing to practice. Uh, Creativity is coming back to me. One of them is writing. I, I hope to soon have some books published to work along the line of the will with that. Thy will, not mine be done. 10th step talks about a sixth sense. The sixth sense is my awakened spirit, conscious contact with God. You know, there's, there's some fabulous stuff I wish we would talk about more in Alcoholics Now that I think is absolutely incredible. I mean, can you imagine a, a whole hour meeting devoted to your experience with a new awakened sixth sense, which is your conscious contact with God? Share your experience with that, right? Share your experience with having entered the world of the Spirit. Share your experience with inventory. After you get done writing in three columns, there's a line that says, the key to my entire future, I look back. Share your experience with why is that the key to your entire future? Fabulous stuff we could be talking about, right? Because the program is about the power and the love and the will of God in your life. That's what it's about for me and a whole bunch of other people that I know. It's about God. It's about power. Tell people, you know, it means we're going to talk about God. All, that's all there is. Fabulous practices in the 11th step. I do, a, I do a written review now in the evening. Why? Because I'm awake. When I wasn't awake, I didn't have to do a written review because I wasn't awake. And I like to do a written review. I go back to my day. You know, was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? I write that out because I'm awake today. I can see that as a result of that. Do I owe an apology to anybody? Now, the practice I'm working with was a kind and loving toward all. I, I, as a group of people, this is my experience, and I'm talking about myself, we're probably the most rudest, most inconsiderate group of people on the planet. And, and I don't know if it's because of the root of our problem, our selfishness or self-centeredness, but, you know, my actions impact other people. And I'm really just getting awake, awake to that. That what I say to other people impacts them. That it really does. Particularly when you got some power, when you got the power of God in you. And if I'm and not doing reviews, I'm not awake to those things, if you will. So I love to do a, a written review. All the 11-step tools. What to do when you get up. A whole bunch of prayers. Mind reminding you to do meditation. 11-step gives me permission to be quick to see where religious people are right. I had a great experience for me that uh, kind of changed how I looked at, uh, say, sponsorship. And that was when I got moved to Kerrville, Texas. That's a small town. 18,000 people. And I could not find someone in Kerrville, Texas, who had done more work than I had done with the book. Experientially. I'm not talking knowledge. So what am I left with? Well, I did some phone contact, yeah. And it was suggested to me that I really begin to work with the 11th step and be quick to see where religious people are right. So I did that. 
incredible stuff came my way. A lot of the books of Thomas Merton helped me tremendously. A lot of, a lot of Buddhism stuff, which helped me greatly with meditation. Uh, I met a uh, Native American medicine man. I, I did some stuff with him for almost two years. Uh, got thrust into the uh, order of uh, St. Benedict. Am I being kicked off? Oh, okay. Oh, is that better? You guys haven't heard a word I said. <laughs> We're going to have to do this again. <laughs> but all of those practices uh, allowed me to know God. Then, uh, for those of you, let me ask, how many of you would like to have a burning bush? Raise your hand. Just saying, I don't know about this question. The only people that want to have a burning bush are the ones that never had one. April 28, 1996, I had an event happen in my life that lasted four, 40 days, and it took me two years to even get my feet on the ground with it, to even begin to understand it. Um, I, know what, I know what another book says when it says fear God, and, and that, it's not in a negative sense. The love of God is, is so far beyond anything that I could comprehend. So for those of you who want a burning bush, well, I don't know if you do or not. I'm only 29 to turn my hair white. <laughs> the love that, that I have of God in this, this program is, is not of me. Um, AA, spiritual living, is more exciting for me today than it was the day I came into Alcoholics Anonymous uh, because there's no end to it. There's absolutely no end to it. You know, if you're sitting in this room and, and, you're, you're AA and your life is flat, here's the great news. You created that. Now, here's the great news. You find someone who has experience, not knowledge, with the big book. And if you want some things to change, if you want to get taken past here, you go through that process with them again. You can't even imagine what can happen to you. You just can't even imagine. To experience God, you must be out of your mind. We all qualify. <laughs> so you do not experience God with your mind. God is so outside of anything that my mind would tell me about God. Thomas Merton said it best. They asked him one time about God. He said, when it comes to God, silence makes more sense. Than I love the silence today. I love solitude. My life is truly not my own business. Don said that to me for years, and I did not understand it. And I understand it. There's so much freedom when you understand that your life is not your business and you give up on your little plans and your little designs. I was telling a, a pal of mine the other day, um, it seems like I, I get sent places. And I'm there a year or two or three and then I get sent somewhere else. So I guess one of the things that I've had to do is realize that and I've pared my life down and uh, I have enough great furniture and for a nice one, large one bedroom apartment. I got a great computer in there, and I'm zen-like. I'm zen-like. Why? Because when he moves me, he moves me. And uh, uh, I've given up my little plans and, and my little designs. I, for years in AA, the idea, well, I'm going to find one place, a little down. And, see, and this is the thing about the ego. When I went back to the 35-year reunion, one of my pals, old Jerry Johnson, I've known Jerry Johnson since 1959. Jerry Johnson married his high school sweetheart bought a house. He still lives in the same house. He's raised three kids. They're all in college and gone. He might think he's been out of Iowa maybe six times. And I kept in touch with Jerry all through the years, in and out. And Jerry and I are sitting there talking. And I told him, I said, you know, Jerry, I want you to understand how much I have admired and, and respected you. 
And, uh, you know, I look at your life. And he starts laughing. I said, what are you laughing at? He said, you can't believe how much I've admired and respected you for your life. He said, I've lived through you for years. Thank God you did all the stuff you did. He said, Mark, it was boring back in Humboldt, Iowa. I loved hearing from you. And, you know, where are you living now? And what's her name? And, you know. <laughs> but it's, it's a beautiful life. Um, sobriety and knowing, knowing God and uh, the responsibility of carrying the message. The message of Alcoholics Anonymous, not my message. Uh, I work with people out of the big book, and uh, uh, I guess you know. In, in closing, I you can't have my experience, but one thing I know about God, you know, His grace falls equally on everyone in this room. And uh, if you want to know God more, you can know God more. And the vehicle we were given to do that, as far as I can tell, is these steps. Uh, really sitting down and, and being willing to go through. There's a line. Prior to the third step, it says, with God's help, I can be entirely rid of self. And I believe that that is possible because of God, not because of ourselves. And the more that self dies, the more I can be of service to God and to my fellow human beings. I'm telling another friend of mine today, one of the greatest gifts I've gotten, and I've really only come to know this in the last few years, is how I feel inside matches what you see outside. And I don't have to pretend to be anything I'm to. Uh, I am as God created me, and that's enough. I'm in touch with... Uh, my human condition. You know. I work with anybody. I have a great time sharing all the mistakes I've made. And boy, I've made them all. And uh, I don't expect to not make them. You do enough work with step six or seven, you'll get stripped of any sense of spiritual pride. If I live to be 90, the day I get up, I'm going to fall short in thought, word, and deed just like you. So who are you to sit in judgment of me, and who am I to sit in judgment of you? you see, I'm against that which separates me from anybody or anything. Love thy neighbor as thyself, and you practice that. My, my life is uh, blessed beyond belief. Uh, I get to travel around a lot. I get to meet new people, a lot of old friends. Uh, it's amazing to me sometimes. I am so loved by God, and I so love God. And uh, what allowed me to experience that was I had to drink a lot of alcohol for a lot of years and then not be able to not drink and uh, then come into this program, meet some, uh, some men and some women who, at times, cared more about me as a child of God than they did about my sensitive alcoholic feelings. Uh, who would not lie to me. See, I, I, I said this earlier about, you know, some AA families you have to go to. I'm the kind of drunk you don't want to, A, you could love me to death. That won't work for me. I need someone coming straight at me. I tell people, I've got broad shoulders and a big ass, bring it on, you know. <laughs> don't soft sell it, see. Don't soft sell it. So those are the men and women in AA that I'm attracted to. Uh, I can handle the truth. I can do that. Uh, God in his great love, he's got people out there for every single one of us, and he knows what that nature is. He knows the kind of people I need to be around, the, you know, the Camilles and the Dons and the Big Franks. and, and uh, uh, He's known the men and women that, need, that, that I need to have in my life to uh, carry the message to me, that I can hear. We all hear different things. And then somewhere along the line, pretty soon, you, you realize that you get help from everybody. You get a lot more open-minded. I'm so grateful that uh, you all took, uh, were kind enough to, to ask me to come. It has been a fabulous experience. God bless you all. Thank you. This is the end of side two.